Hello, and welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch. Proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined again today by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel and also on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Aaron, we got some good stuff today, my friend. Boy, we do. We are joining FLW angler Sean Hernke, where he and I spent some time down in Jasper, Texas, on the Big Sam Ural stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit later, we'll be uh, joining Mark Tucker as he discusses matching weights to cover. Man, that sounds great. Let's get after it. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing better. Oh, did, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Aaron is still winter out there. My goodness, it's been a cold week up here. Man, that is for sure. I'm telling you, between dodging uh, the ice, the snow, and the cold temperatures, I don't know what's worse. And uh, starting to get a little bit of that creeping back in of cabin fever. Oh, man, I hear that. And, of course, people call and want to talk fishing, and uh, that doesn't help any. Uh, <laughs> I got a call from old Rick Loomis yesterday. Did you? Yeah, from down at Lake Fork, Texas. He was like, well, when are you coming down? And I well, not anytime soon, I don't think. But he goes, man, I am wearing them out on spoons. And I said, well, man, I can't come to Texas till June. He goes, perfect. They'll be doing it then. And it just kind of made me think, how many summer and winter patterns are so similar? Oh, I know. And I've heard him talk many, many times. That that's the unique thing about when you start talking about different parts of, of the country. You know, he's kind of known for that big spoon uh that he throws down there. And of course, you know, that's something that we do a lot of uh, here in the Midwest and really all over the country. And and when you think about it, you know, we do a lot of of drop shotting. Of course, uh, really the only time that I consider that we don't do that is going to be right around the spawn. But any other time, you know, you can get those electronics going, uh, pick up that drop shot or that spoon and get after it. Well, I know our own Mike Webb has been out on the lake and he's been tearing them up drop shot those deep fish and it's just like you know we just put out a great dvd the electronics 101 and most of that was shot in the warm month so i think guys can this time of year who aren't used fishing in the winter can kind of look to what they did in the summer and that might be a good starting point well and and you're exactly right because the common denominator is that it comes down to bait fish and where are those bait fish at because you know once you find the bait fish whether it be summer or winter those bass are not going to be too far away. Yeah, and we always talk about seasonal patterns, and I know that that's uh, something you like to talk about, and you're actually going to do a seminar on that coming up soon. I not? am. I actually I have a couple seminars coming up. One is going to be at uh, the Eastern Sports Show that you've heard us talk about there in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. the 12th of February through the 14th, and then stepping over into uh, Drury University there in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, that is February 25th, so have the opportunity to talk about seasonal conditions and uh, certainly going to have all the Bass Edge products and merchandise for sale, including, uh, you know, Steve, something that we get to add new uh, to the list is your new book. 
Well, I'll just shamelessly plug my book again. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. He is out. And uh, it's stories I've written over the last 20 years as an outdoor writer. And uh, I'm hoping folks out there will purchase it and enjoy it. Well, you know, speaking of the book, I was actually, I was, I was reading the book last night, Steve, and I did not realize that you had fished in Africa. Well, you know, I went, when I went over there, it was a photographic safari that I, that I went on. And I was fortunate enough to be invited by the good folks at Ultimate African Safaris to come out. And and do pictures, but there was one uh, one day there in the Okavango Delta, which is this massive millions of acres of swamp with thousands of islands, and it's just a wildlife mecca. And we went out one evening for sundowners, and we stopped on the side of this little channel, and it's coming through, and you could see fish schooling down the creek. And we're sitting there, it's getting dark, and the sun's going down, you're hearing hippos grunt, and elephants trumpet, and other noises, you don't know what they are, but you're glad you're out in the boat. And those schooling fish came closer and closer, and we had some spinning rods that I hooked into it. About a six pound tiger fish. <laughs> and I mean, they are a fantastic game fish. Run, jump, do the whole bit. They look like kind of a fat striper with T-Rex teeth. So but, you better uh, not get your hand in the way. No, you don't lift these guys. <laughs> but it was just was one of the neat things that uh, happened down there. It was fun to look back at times like that as we put this book together. Boy, and, and thinking about that, you know, that, that gets me fired up for what's to come once we get past this cold weather, the schooling activity that's going to take place here in the freshwater. But uh, I always find it interesting to hear, you know, you can even go to different parts of, of the world and mm-hmm. still participate in schooling activities. So that, that had to be pretty neat. That that was neat. And uh, at the risk of me getting off on telling a bunch of Africa stories, let's get away here. And uh, on the other side of this break, you, I know you've got a great talk with Sean Harkey. It'll all be here on The Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Hello and welcome back to The Edge, and joining us for this week's Angler Spotlight is FLW Touring Pro and also PAA board member, and that is Sean Hernke. Sean, uh, great to have you back, man. Man, Aaron, it's great to be back. We've uh, had some good times in the last few years. Absolutely, and and the funny thing is, anticipating this interview, it made me think of our days on the water, you know, down on on Rayburn, and it still, to this day, gets me fired up. Yeah, that was good times, you know. It it was a little hot, but we had, uh, you know, the sweat was dripping for sure but we had a we had a good time and the fish were biting well why don't you kind of set the stage because i know you know obviously you have some history about rayburn doing some guiding there very very early on in your career but for our listeners who may not be familiar with sam rayburn maybe you could kind of explain what to expect and kind of how the lake he is down there. yeah well rayburn when you called me and told me that we were going to do a show on rayburn and i was just so excited because i was like man that place is probably one of the most special bodies of water to my heart just simply because of the history and bass fishing that's around that region. I mean, if there was ever a book written about the history of the sport, it, it, uh, many chapters would be dedicated to, or at least to specifically one whole chapter would be dedicated to Rayburn and Toledo Bend.
Ironman down in East Texas. So many professional anglers were brought up and, and, and came through the ranks down there. And when, when I got out of high school, that's the first place I went to school. I went to school for a period of time down in Nacogdoches and spent many, many days on Sam Rayburn and, and learned so much, so much valuable information that I still use today on the tour that, that, that I picked up on that lake. And the lake is just phenomenal because it, it has so many different types of cover. You know, in the course of one day, you can fish deep hydrilla, offshore structure, brush piles, ledges, humps, ridges, shallow vegetation, you know, you know just hay grass up on the bank, uh, willow trees. And then in the spring, I mean, the water gets up into the pine trees and, and you can fish for miles back in that stuff. And the lake is so versatile and you can practically cover every spectrum of bass fishing and how to attack bass fishing all in one season on that lake. And that's what makes Rayburn so special. You know, you bring up a good point. Of course, we were there the first part of June and we stayed there in, in Jasper, uh, which kind of put us right in the middle of things where we had the ability. Uh, and that's the great thing, I think, about that lake. You know, you look at the map and it's, a, I mean, it's an enormous lake. But the good thing is, too, that the way the lake is set up, you don't have to burn this expensive gas, you know, that we're going through. You've got a lot of access and really to get to a lot of those different areas that you just described. Yeah, exactly. And that's the nice thing about Raver. I mean, the first time you launch your boat on that place, it can be very intimidating. I mean, there's 100 and I think 14,000 acres to attack and there's bass in every direction. And that's the cool part about that lake. And, you know, the, the good part about Raver is, you know, it, you can fish so much water, but you really, like you said, you don't have to burn a lot of gas. You know, we, we started off, we fished, you know, I think half the morning, just five miles from the ramp and caught bukus of fish. And, and that's the great part about that lake. You know, and and speaking about starting out, we, uh, like you said, we made just realistically a, a fairly short run that morning and uh, really started targeting some top water. And uh, the bite actually got better as the day progressed. Exactly. And, that, and that's a big thing on Rayburn and, and a lot of lakes all across the country that time of year. When you get into the summertime, you know, Rayburn generates a lot of electricity and they, and they move a lot of water in the afternoons. And when they open those gates up and start making electricity, those bass start biting. And that's what we saw that day on, on the lake was, you know, the morning time that we got a lot of bites and we caught, you know, quite a few fish. But then when, when we made that move and went up the lake in the afternoon and they were generating, man, they really got the bite and they were just creaming everything that we threw at them. And one of the things that I noticed, you know, growing up in the Midwest, I didn't grow up actually fishing grass. So I'm always fascinated when you go to the lakes that have a lot of different types of structure and vegetation that's all in one place. You say, okay, how can I break that intimidation factor down? But one of the things that I did notice that you put us on was the effectiveness of the willow trees and any type of little point or where you had that pepper grass, I think it was, and, and kind of where that defined hydrilla edge was. Right. And I think that was a big deal. And kind of what we what we went through that day was we kind of proved the point that a lot of people think in early summertime that you got to get out there real deep to catch fish. And that's not necessarily the case. You know, what we attacked during that day was, you know, we the bluegill are spawning that time and, and we... And the bass are up there eating those bluegill, and that's what we did. You know, we, we caught so many fish up there on those bluegill beds that it was it was amazing. And that was really something that we learned that day and, and to show the viewers, and we just enjoyed it, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just too much fun to quit. Exactly. And, and, and that was is that the fish, you don't have to fish deep in the summertime. Well, and, and talk about the bluegill spawn, because I, I want to make sure that, you know, even personally, that I picked up a lot of great information that day and learned a lot centered around what you just mentioned, the bluegill spawn. Right, and what happens is the bluegill, you know, the bass come in and they spawn, you know, especially like at Rayburn, they come in in March and, and early April and they and they spawn. 
Well, when that's done, right after that, immediately in the same areas that those bass spawn, the bluegill spawn in those little sandy spots on the bottom around the grass and, and around willows and anything with a hard bottom, those, those bluegill come in and spawn. And the bass stay behind, you know, there's a portion of them that go deep, but then there's also a big portion of, of quality fish that stay shallow and feed on the bluegill uh, because they're up shallow and, and they're easy pickings, to be quite honest with you. The, you know, the bluegill are up guarding their nests and those bass just gorge on them. And we saw that in the show where they were just, I mean, some of them were actually schooling. There were just droves of them coming in and eating those bluegill. And that's a real key lesson that I think that people, a lot of people don't know in, in the early summertime. So bait selection, let's break it down. Obviously, we used uh, topwater, which in those categories uh, were the, the actual frog type uh, topwater. Uh, you also used a chugging type bait, and then obviously the worms came into play. Are, are those pretty much the, the baits that, that you go to uh, when the bluegill spawn is taking place? Yeah, a lot of times. I mean, it's always usually some type of topwater deal or some type of... But, you know, the main thing that what we noticed in the show is, and if you look at every bait that we used, it resembled a bluegill of some form. You know, my chugger bait was kind of a, a goldish bronze color that resembled a bluegill. My jig that I was flipping was real green, and it had a lot, you know, brownish green that, that resembles a bluegill. Every bait, you know, our worms were kind of green pumpkin with blue or green flake in them. Anything that kind of resembles those bluegill. And then your, your bait selection just kind of dictates what cover the bass are on. You know, sometimes, you know, as you saw, I mean, some areas that we fished, were, were real heavy vegetation, that peppergrass, so we threw a frog in it. And then some areas were just sand holes in, in the hydrilla, and so there I'd throw a chugger. And then sometimes we caught some just simply flipping bases of willow trees and cypress trees. And, you know, the bass are a lot of different areas. It was the main thing that we just had to find those bluegill beds and then find the first good ambush point off those bluegill beds, and that's where the bass were. You know, the interesting thing you, you brought up as far as the actual color, uh, you look at those those. I guess the colors, varieties that we were using, a lot of them, you know, you could say would look pretty good hanging on a Christmas tree. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but it really did make the difference. Exactly. And I get made fun of a lot for that jig that, that I was throwing there because it looked, I mean, you put it in the water and it, it glows green. But, man, I tell you what, I have won a ton of money over the years in the month of, you know, late May and early June fishing that jig because for some reason when that jig hits a piece of wood and, that, and there's a bass nearby and it, that bass is going to eat that thing up because it looks exactly like a bluegill coming by and one of the things that, that you brought up in the show when we had talked about uh you know the color of the baits was the difference in the not only the clarity of the water but also the color of the water could you elaborate just a, a little bit on on that yeah exactly and that's something that you hear you hear well you, you people say water color and reading the water and all that type of stuff well, you know, that's what's pretty interesting. You see about, you know, how well, how deep could you see? How deep, well, you know, 10 inches, 2 inches, 8 inches, you know. And, and a lot of times what people, you know, when you start to learn to quote unquote read the water, you're looking at the color, what more so of the color. And that's where my bait selection colors and changes right there. You might have tea stained or tannic or even bluish green water or even brown. There's shade, you know, lots of different shades of brown. And as time progresses and you fish, you learn to kind of make your color choices and your bait selections based on the colors of that tinge. And we saw that at Rayburn. You know, we'd fish one area and it would have a real tea stained brown. Then we'd go around the corner and we'd have a bluish green. You could still see 12 inches in either one. It didn't really make a difference, but it was the color of the water. And that's when, you know, I might use a chugger over because it's a little less intimidating than the big frog. 
you know, in that little, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's where you really have to get into is learn when you're out on the water to look for those, to, what the color looks like, and then that'll help you read. And as time progresses, you'll figure out what baits work good in those color waters. Well, I think that's a great point because I remember specifically, you know, like you just mentioned, we went around the corner and the, and the water color itself, not the visibility, but the water color itself literally changed. And then we were on that situation, If you probably, I'm, I'm sure you can, you do because how can you forget but when we moved into those schooling fish you know and we'd fish those out and we were throwing kind of a more aggressive frog but right in the midst of that then we changed kind of did a little experimenting and uh you know you picked up the uh the chugger and kind of threw in there as well and then i changed the style of the frog how critical is it to be able to make those type of decisions throughout the day well i think that's the, the key word is you know you always wonder well what's a good angler and what's a great angler well a good angler goes in there and catches fish, a great angler makes those right choices at the right time. And that was something that, that we'll see, you know, that was on the, that you did, just changing that frog up a lot. Like we got into those schooling fish that were just eating those bluegill. And that's what happened so many times. You'll come in there and it was just every cast, just bang, 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 fish, 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 fish. And then it gets a little slower. Those fish get smart. You know, you, you've caught seven, eight, nine, ten fish out of that school. Well, now they're starting to figure out, hey, that goofy frog that keeps coming over my head might not be the right thing to eat. But then you change it up a little bit. Like the frog that you used was a little more subtle. It was a little quieter, looked a little different. And suddenly, boom, you nailed a few more fish on that thing. And that was the deal. You know, and, and if you're fishing on the weekend for fun or you're in a tournament, that's the key. I mean, that gets you a few more bites throughout the day. And that's something that, that is a very important factor. Well, I think both for the recreational angler as well as maybe the guys, you know, who fish in a lot of team tournaments. The neat thing about kind of what you had going on, and you had mentioned this during the show, was you were fishing with the chugger. You were fishing for a different positioned fish or a different bass that was located differently versus the frogfish. What do you mean by that? Well, that's what the big thing is. You know, that's pretty interesting because you look at a topwater. You know, there were fish that, that I threw the chugger on that didn't bite that you threw the frog in there and did bite. And that, you know, they're, they're, even though they're both topwater baits, you know, kind of the other question like you asked is, well, why wouldn't you throw a buzz bait in this situation? Well, the buzz bait was just a little too much. And like the frog was good for those fish that were kind of positioned thick into the cover. Even though I'd throw that chugger right in there, right near it, it wouldn't draw those fish out near as good as that frog would you know they wouldn't it wouldn't pull them out of that curve they didn't it wasn't quite loud enough that to come and by and, and, and kind of what i call obnoxious enough to kind of get them to come want to come out and, and eat that bait whereas then there was a lot of and then, and then there was a lot of fish in the more sparse cover that wouldn't eat that frog at all because it was too much you know they they weren't they were out positioned where they could actually see that bait a little too good and they would look at it and go, no, thank you. But that chugger was a little more natural. It looked a little more, you know, it looked more like a bluegill. And they'd come out and just nail it. And, you know, with that being said, that's a great tip that you can take to the lake with you as a, in a team event or even recreationally from the standpoint of, do you want to throw the same bait? Do you want to switch off? I mean... What advice do you have, you know, kind of when two guys are in the same boat approaching a body of water? Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, the beautiful thing about it is, is, is you know, that's what we did. You know, you and I spent a lot of time in the boat using a couple different baits and, and trying until we figured them out for that day. You know, that's the thing about fishing is you have to figure out how they're going to bite that day. It's not how I caught them yesterday or the day before. It's how they're going to bite that day. And when you have two guys in the boat, that's what's good, you know, and, and we utilized that and then we figured them out. 
And then you and I both started catching them on the frog, and then it was fun. It was all fun after that. Sure, you fine-tune it from there. And and our, our closing thought here, and you pointed this out on the show, but it's worthy of bringing up again, and that had to do with the amount of weight that we were using on, on the Texas rig worms. Can you go over that just briefly? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the biggest thing about a Texas rig that people need to realize, you know, I mean, like when I was fishing the thicker hydrilla, I had a little bit heavier 3-8-ounce weight. And then we started fishing more sparse grass, and I still had that heavy weight on and didn't get bit. Cut it off, put on a, a quarter ounce weight, and boom, caught some fish. The thing is about Texas rig that people always need to remember is use the lightest weight possible that you can get away with, but still get it in front of the fish where they're positioned. Great stuff, Sean. Thank you so much. Uh, any closing thoughts uh, as we get out of here? Well, man, I appreciate it. We had another great time out there, and, and, and it was just a ball. And, and if, if anybody has any questions about what we did on Rayburn or anything like that after they watch the show, feel free to e- you know email us at BassEdge.com, and I'll, and I'll answer any questions that you have. Look forward to it. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks again, Aaron. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow. Dumper. Tiller. Backhoe. Stump grinder. And tool carrier ever made. The Zahn. The revolution is here. Hi, I'm James Nigemeyer, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, man, it was great to be on Big Sam with old Sean. Boy, it was. And, you know, Steve, I know that had to bring back a lot of memories for you because uh, you've spent many of hours on that lake. Well, you know, that's where I first bass fished. And my family used to go up there every year, spend a week in a little cabin. And I can remember when we bought these new things called plastic worms. <laughs> and uh, Now you're dating yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a while ago. I'm surprised I can remember it. But uh, we had no idea how to fish them, man. We put on these plastic worms and hooked them like it had on the back of the cardboard and just hung them over the side and just sort of jigged them. But we caught some fish doing that. Well, I can tell you that our time down there hanging around Jasper, not only the fishing there on Sam Rayburn, you know, what a, what a neat community. It had all kinds of murals. I know we got to, we got actually got into town a little bit early and was able to kind of see the town and look at some of the murals and the rodeo and the art galleries and the, yeah. the air show and all the different things that was there. Well, Jasper is a very nice place. Uh, you know, it is a beautiful place with all the murals, and it's kind of a, one of those art towns, I call them. You know, they have, they have art galleries and a few art shows during the year, and uh, and it's just, if you're into that sort of thing and antiquing, uh, the wife, that gives her plenty to do while you're out fishing is on a visit to Jasper, but uh, but they all do they do have their big thing every year is the rodeo. And uh, of course, I've been known to visit a few. I had the opportunity this past October. Don't forget, I you know I've been known to uh, get out and watch some bull riding. Don't participate too much anymore. Yeah, but. <laughs> I'm ready. To, I'm ready to see you do some bull riding. I don't know though. You know, we need your pretty face for the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Okay, you're not getting a raise. So, um, but no. You know, the thing about down there, though, of course, we were down there to fish, and man, what a trip! Just so many different offerings, and the current, that current generation. I'm still thinking about when they would basically kick on the generator, start that activity, and what that would do to the fishing. Well, it would. We were there in June. 
and it was just such a great time of year to be there. I mean, we were catching topwaters in the middle of the day, catching deep fish out in the hydrilla, and pitching the willow trees. And then, you know, the fish were hitting great. You know how many fish we caught. And, but like you said, man, when they started generating that water, they would just, they would turn them on. Well, it was just like what we've talked about before on the tidal systems. You know, anytime you have that change or, or that uh, redirecting of activity of, uh, in this case, water current, man, they would just absolutely go bonkers. And that happened, I guess, just because of it being summer, you know, you see this a lot around different uh, reservoirs across the country, those generation schedules, and they stick pretty close to those. And certainly the, the day that we were there, they hit it right on the money. But I can't help but think about, you know, when we were using those top waters, I think the difference was that we were throwing some of those frogs, those surface or what we call swimming frogs, and bringing those right across the thickest part of the vegetation. But then, remember, Sean bent down and tied on that Rico, which is basically, uh-huh. it's kind of like a, a popping. It's a chugging bait. Uh-huh. Uh, it looks like a little bait fish. And he was working the perimeters of those grass patches and really catching a whole different group of fish. Well, you know, if you can remember, he was kind of out. He was catching those fish out kind of in the open on sort of a sandy, shallow water. And there's a couple of cases where we could actually see the shadow of the fish come up and hit the bait. Now, how cool was that? Oh, that was awesome. And, you know, what was the hardest part, I think, was when we actually realized that, uh, you know what, these are schoolers. Uh, we're fishing for these, and man, it was so much fun. But, you know, we were there to kind of upgrade and see if mm-hmm. we couldn't get after a, a big bite. And uh, as hard as what it was to do at the time, it sure paid off when we moved out on some of that deeper structure. Well, it did. You know, like I said, June in, in East Texas, I mean, it's deep fish, top waters, schoolers. And we had run into some guys early that morning who had been fishing all night. Yeah, so it's just I do sort of uh, pick your pleasure went on at Sam Rayburn in in the middle of the summer. So, but uh, Aaron, how about I give something away here? You're always wanting to give stuff away. Absolutely. Let's do. Who do we have this week? I do. Well, we got Jim from Knoxville, Tennessee. And I'm going to send Jim a copy of my new book. Somebody's got to do it. Well, there you go. Congratulations, Jim. I know he'll get as much enjoyment out of it as what I have as far as reading it and you did as far as writing it. So, Well, I hope so. And we appreciate Jim for writing into it. It's always good to hear from Tennessee. And we have a listener question this week, too, Aaron. And it's from Gail in Arnold, Missouri. Not right, too down close in from the, us. In, Not yeah. too far from us here. It's, uh, down in the southern part, right there close to the river down in Arnold. So what, is, <laughs> what does Gail want to know? Gail says, I read recently retired and am getting back into fishing. I don't have much experience yet fishing with the variety of soft plastics that are now available. On recent outing, I was using a Zoom Fat Albert Grub on a 3 ounce jig head, and the bass bit the tails off three of them and didn't get hooked. What should I have done to remedy this? I stopped fishing shortly after this happened due to storms and have not been back since. I've learned so much from your show. I'm an avid bass edge watcher and hope the shoe will be on for many years. Thanks in advance for your help, and that was Gail. All right, well, we threw that question out to Boyd Duckett, and who better to get an answer from than uh, former Bassmaster Classic champion himself, Boyd Duckett. And Boyd says, one thing to consider is they may not have been largemouth. White bass are notorious for that type of thing. If it was a largemouth or a smallmouth, though, when they short strike like that, it usually helps to change color. If the water is clear, try green pumpkin or root beer. Also, see if you can get them to hit a hard bait with trebles. It's a lot easier to hook them. Maybe a small jerk bait. Best of luck on the water, Boyd Duckett. The word from the man. Yep, and that's right. We had a great show with Boyd and uh, kind of had to make some of those same judgments. We had some <laughs> white bass we were messing with uh, down there in Alabama. We sure did, and uh, so that that's hot off the press right there. So good luck, Gail. Hope that helps you out, and uh, hopefully that'll help you put more fish in the boat. Well, Aaron, let's take another quick break, and we'll be right back on the edge. 
You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Hi, I'm Dave Wolak. Let's go fishing with Bass Edge. All right, we are back on the edge, and joining us for this week's Inside Edge segment is BASS Elite Pro, and that is Mr. Mark Tucker. Mark, thanks so much for being part of the edge. Great to be here, Aaron. Hey, you know, uh, this week's show was really good, and, and one of the segments that you brought up that I think often gets overlooked, and that is the topic of matching your weight with the particular bait that you're fishing. So maybe you could start by just giving us a kind of a recap, and then I'd like to dive off a little bit more in detail on, on some of those things that you talked about. Well, Aaron, you know, it depends mostly on the type of cover you're fishing is what I really particularly stands out to me is how I want to match the weight to the cover I'm fishing, as opposed to matching the weight with the bait you're going to be fishing. Okay. I very seldom ever go below, you know, say a quarter ounce slip sinker. Once in a while, I'll use a 3 if I'm fishing super shallow or very clear water or if they're spawning fish. But most of the time, I like to use either a quarter or a 5 ounce slip sinker. If I'm fishing down to about 10 feet of water, if I'm fishing a brush hog, you need something with a little bit more weight to get more action out of your bait, but you don't want the weight to make the bait fall too fast. And also, you know, uh, you fish enough to know that you really have to dictate the mood of the fish to use a potential size in the weight. Sure. Now, when you talk about the size and, and kind of in your explanation now and, and matching that to the cover, so does that mean, let's say, if you're fishing some sort of matted vegetation versus maybe like, uh, you know, docks, suspended docks or something like that, that you may go heavier in the vegetation situation versus oh, the absolutely. I mean, when, once you get into matted vegetation or, you know, hydrilla and millfoil and, and lily pads, you need something heavier to punch through that mat. That's the only time once in a while when you're fishing deep bushes like table rock was flooded all summer Mm -hmm. you get a lot of those buck bushes you can actually take a three-quarter ounce big tungsten weight and put it on a brush hog or something and you'll get a reaction bite in those situations that you wouldn't get if you put it on a light sinker and try to drop it down in that bush. Sometimes you can get a reaction bite by using heavier weights on your bait, but I prefer the 5 ounce or a half ounce. You get too heavy, it's hard to control it to where you're trying to get it in that bush. Sure. And, you, you know, you brought up uh, the term tungsten uh, just a second ago. Let's let's spend some time on that. Are you one of the guys that kind of exclusively will use tungsten, or do you ever, you know, revert to the lead situation? Talk a little bit about that. Well, actually, Aaron, the, the tungsten, there's a lot of benefits to it that outweighs the cost, you know. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot more noise on a rocky bottom. It's a smaller diameter, which enables you to get the hook set better through the fish's mouth, and The colors are matched to match your bait. Plus, when you're using fluorocarbon line with a tungsten weight, you can feel exactly what type of bottom you're on. It just telegraphs back to your rod so well that you can tell if you're in shell beds, if you're in boulders, if you're in the sand, if you're in pea gravel. So I really like using the tungsten over lead. Now, I probably don't have one lead sinker in my tackle box. 
Yeah, and, and really when you're in a situation, let's say, to where, you know, the fish aren't just a, aggressively, you know, just attacking that bait, right. I'm sure that helps you actually, you know, land more fish or at least be able to sense that, hey, I'm getting a bite. It seems like, Aaron, the tungsten weight, you can stay in contact with your bait all the time as opposed to the lead. I mean, I can feel exactly what that bait's doing at all times, and it, it's hard to believe it makes that much difference, but I wouldn't even think of putting a lead sinker on sinker on anymore. Sure. Now, one other thing that that is often talked about, and let's get your input on that, and that is concerning, you know, pegging a weight right. uh, to keep that, right. you know, from going up and down your line. What is your rule of thumb to that? I prefer not to peg a slip sinker at all. And, and for whatever reason, I feel that you enhance the action if you don't peg the sinker to the bait because it looks like a chase scene. If you're hopping a brush hog, swimming a brush hog, popping it, the weight pops away from the brush hog, and it actually looks like a bluegill or something chasing something. I like that concept. Now, if you're in thick vegetation, I like to either use a bobber sinker or I like to use the, the Peter T's peg from True Tungsten. That seems to be the best one because it slides down inside the front of the slip sinker and it protects your line from getting cut on the edge of the sinker. Which you know as well as I do, that can happen. And Very well. Yeah, whatever you can do to prevent that, that's prevent just going to give you that much more the confidence. Best thing, the best thing to prevent it, if you're not using a smart peg, is when you set the hook, you have to use more of a pull set than a jerk set. And I found that that helps me keep from breaking off a lot as well. You know, instead of... You know, used to, you'd reel down and, boy, just set the hook as hard as you could. Right. I find if I just tighten up, drop the rod to about 10 o'clock, and then just load into him instead of a snap jerk. Because what happens is that the fish just has the bait, the slip sinker's outside the fish's mouth, and he's going away from you. Well, your line's going to come back against that weight in a, in a point, and that tungsten's harder than lead, so invariably it's going to cut the line right. if you're not careful. And, you know, so, I'm no scientist, but there's got to be some friction that comes into play there on, exactly. on that cut. And it heats up quicker, and, and, uh, and plus just that tungsten doesn't have any forgiveness to it. It doesn't. We're lead. Actually, I mean, used to in the old days, you could fish with a lead sinker, and you could see where your line actually cut into the lead. Right, right. I remember so, that. Uh, but the smart peg is the ideal situation. Uh, I know Peter T, and, and he throws a smart peg on every bait he has, and I don't prefer to do that because I like the chasing more. Sure. It just it gives the bait more action when you do not peg it. Now, if you're punching grass, you don't really have to worry about action because they're reacting on the fall. Right. But if you're fishing brush piles and swimming a bait down the side of a dock, you really need to get that jumping action out of that bait. And the only way to do that is when you pop it and the sinker comes away from the nose of the bait. Excellent information, Mark. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the edge and wish you the best of luck this coming season. I sure love being here, Aaron. I thank you for having me. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. 
Well, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. But uh, who do we have up next week, Steve? Well, we're heading to Alabama, and like we said, we're fishing with the 2007 classic champ, Boy Duckett. And we're going to get out and wear out some fall docks. Well, that was fun, and uh, certainly look forward to that. Be sure to join us for this show on the Outdoor Channel, where Bass Edge is seen three times weekly at 8 a.m. on Thursdays, 9 a.m. on Fridays, and Saturday afternoons at 2.30 all Eastern time. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and for the opportunity to win prizes and ask the pro questions, be sure to log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.